Hello and welcome to African Joe Paddy. My name is Ife and I am recording from Creole in Scotland. Today, um, my colleague Dr. Bel Habib or Dehia is unable to join us today, but we have um, an amazing guest to discuss gender and security in Africa with examples from Nigeria with us. Her name is Ruth, and she is currently the acting executive director at Clean Foundation. She holds a bachelor's degree in education from the University of Ibadan in Nigeria, a master's of arts degree in development studies with a major in social policy from the Erasmus University, Rotterdam in the Netherlands, and is currently pursuing a doctoral studies and research in defense and security studies. Her work focuses on improving the effectiveness of security and justice sector agencies through human rights-based approaches and improved accountability for better service delivery. She is a member of various strategic platforms, including the Security Sector Advisory Network to United Nations, Research Fellow of the Institute of French Studies in Nigeria, IFRA Nigeria, Fellow of the Institute for Management Consultants, and the member of the Chartered Institute of Project Management in Ghana. You would agree with me that there's no other person better deserving of talking about this topic, gender and security in Africa, with example from Nigeria than Ruth Olofin herself. So thank you so very much for being here, Ruth. Thank you. Thank you so much. So I'm just going to go yep. straight to the point and ask this, the, the, the first question. In the context of gender and security, we want to talk about women and security with a focus on Nigeria. So I would like you to please tell us a bit more about women in Nigeria and the role they play in security. Okay, um, good afternoon from my side. Um, thank you, Dr. Ife. My name is Ruth. Uh, so the roles that women play in um, security in Nigeria um, is that one, they are actors of, um, they provide security essentially, being involved in the um, security sector. And then also uh, by virtue of the peculiar circumstances uh, the existential security situation in Nigeria and parts of West Africa, they are also impacted um, by security. Um, so I will be speaking around um, the roles, the first um, role that they play as security sector provider, um, drawing largely from the Nigerian experience. So um, basically my argument, uh, just to say that um, um, largely Nigeria, Nigeria has not, as a country, has not done enough to ensure gender equality in its security sector. Um, the security sector in Nigeria remains highly gendered and patriarchal, both in practice and policies, um, despite some progress um, to ensure equality. Um, it would interest you to know that women have been appointed to head strategic ministries, um, including finance, 
um, they've been finance uh, ministers. Uh, perhaps out of the assumption that perhaps they can manage finances better, I don't know, uh, but that this unfortunately has not been the same for the mainstream security agencies that you have. Um, this from um, independence, uh, what you've had is that men have largely dominated um, that space as heads of um, agencies um, for the police, the, the military, the different services in the military. Um, yeah, so, and then to say that um, finally the argument is that if you infuse and mainstream gender priorities in security sector governance, um, these will have the capabilities of improving the level of responses um, to the needs of the public and also improve their own operations um, if you bring in that gender lens. Um, let me know if I should stop or just continue from, from here. No, you can you can continue. Thank you so much for that. You can continue by telling us why exactly is that? Because obviously there seems to be a recognition that women can do the job. But why is it that since independence to date, in terms of the representation of women in the security sector, why do we still have a huge gap? My network can be a bit um, problematic. So did you get the question that I asked? I asked, um, why is it that despite the recognition that women can play a role in security, why is it that the representation is still very low? And and this is actually not just a Nigerian problem. In the African context, yeah. there seems to be really very low representation of women in the security sector. Why do you think that is? Yes, so um, for me, we need to look at this uh, fundamentally. The laws that establish these um, security institutions, not just in Nigeria, but um, also in Africa and elsewhere um, are colonial in nature and also have, um, you know, tendencies around patriarchy. You know, for instance, I will use the case um, in Nigeria, like that of the Nigerian police force. Uh, we had a law that um, that was that established the Nigerian police force in 1943, the police um, law, although that has been um, repealed, we have a new law. If you look at the, the, the laws and the provisions in that document, it talks about, you know, um, the role that are just specifically, you know, made for women um, such that they are not able to undertake combat, combat duties. So it sort of sets women apart that oh, you have special roles in terms of doing unpaid care work. Uh, within the security agencies. So you will see roles like, oh, women, um, female officers are meant to cross children, you know, female officers are meant to do credit crew work and all of that. So over time, these laws have sort of formed the, the, the practice, you know, and the policies with which other um, engagement within the institutions have sort of shaped the agenda across the years, across decades. So it started from that fundamental um, part in terms of the way they were shaped, the, the colonial laws that set them up. And Africa, Nigeria has found it very difficult to you know, pull itself from these colonial laws. Uh, we made history in terms of that of the police, which I'm very familiar with. Um, for more than 16 years, as speaking as a civil society practitioner, we battled with repealing the police law of 1943 because we told ourselves that 
this law was no longer fit for purpose. This law was no longer speaking to the realities of Nigeria. This law was, was not making female police officers to progress and advance in their careers. Because this law specifically will stipulate things like, oh, um, if, if you're married, for instance, you can't be enrolled or enlisted into the Nigerian police. So we wanted to push that away. And for more than 16 years, we pushed and pushed. And then finally, you have something that is a bit more realistic and in tune to um, um, current um, um, realities as it were. So the police um, law of 2020. And within that law, you have provisions like any semblance of gender discrimination has been abolished. But of course, it remains to be seen if actually the police or other institutions are going to actually um, ensure that um, there's gender equality. So the point here is to say that um, it started from the, the, the laws that were established, they were formulated, and as such, we got caught up in that web and we were unable to read ourselves quickly enough, even after independence for Nigeria in 1960 and, and other countries, we continued with the colonial laws. And when you have that kind of oppression in place, it becomes difficult for you to switch to um, 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 a, gen a more gender-friendly institution as it were. Thank you so much for really a very articulate way of, of, of sort of helping us understand this. And, and your response has made me think of something that I feel, at least I, I encounter sometimes when you try to engage certain people to talk about you know, the need for gender parity in the security sector. So they, they say things like, oh, this is a Western idea that they are trying to impose on us, right? Mm -hmm. But your explanation actually evidently shows in terms of obviously, given that so many African countries were colonized by the West, how it is actually a Western idea in the first place, you know, this whole um, patriarchal narrative around security or who can um, provide security, right? And now to be able to reverse the trend, some of the difficulties, at least through the engagement I've heard, we're also having is that it is a Western idea of trying to ensure, bring about uh, um, parity in around gender and, and security because women are unfortunately, supposedly, not able to do certain kind of hard work when it comes yeah. to security, like combative work. What do you think about this? Have you encountered such narrative when you're trying to sensitize people on the need for gender parity in the security sector? So one of the ways we try to do this uh, when we come across um, such roadblocks is to say that um, despite the fact that this agenda, yes, is being pushed by the West and um, to say coincidentally, the same West were the ones that colonized us, we cannot afford to remain, you know, in the current state of affairs. The world has moved, including the colonial masters as it were. So it will do, you try to build a narrative around um, the opportunities this will create for Nigeria when you improve the, the sector, the security sector, um, along gender lines, um, not just for the institution, but for the whole country as it were. So we come from the perspective to say that there is more good in this, um, whatever you're thinking. Um, and, and as it were, um, 
this is not going to be so much of um, a Western idea, but to say that how do we take this idea that is coming and localize it to our own context? Patriarchy is still very strong in this part of the country and also in Africa and even elsewhere, even within the West. Um, you still have some countries where um, the, the gender parity is still a bit um, low. But to say that um, it's important that local context comes into some of these suggestions. Um, working around security sector reform, not just on the gender space, but for all, all other issues, uh, the battle is how do we localize these ideas? I think that is where um, the whole concern is coming from. So if you're able to convince and push to that point that, yes, this idea is here, how do you make it? Look at the perspective of making it, uh, um, uh, contextualizing it to your own um, context. In other words, how do you allow more women uh, look at your community. You are being impacted by insecurity. You have eligible girls, eligible young women that are graduates. There are no jobs. What are the incentives for them to go to school? So how do we also push the security agencies to ensure that, okay, um, are there going to be quotas um, for, for female um, to come into the institution? So that is the angle with which we try to um, address some of the challenges that come uh, when we get questions around, uh, this is a Western idea. It's a Western idea, but the world has moved um, drastically, dramatically. Women are doing exploits. We, you and I often watch American films and you see contingents of um, female soldiers who are going to Afghanistan or elsewhere. You know, Africa is trying on that bit of peacekeeping. Um, there was a time that Nigeria, the Nigerian police force sent out an all-female contingent on a peacekeeping peacekeeping Mitchell. I'm not too sure the country, whether it was Liberia or Syria alone, but we had that out. And the pride that it brought to us as Nigerians that, whoa, our women can actually do exploit. So um, if you paint all of this picture, the positive aspect of it, um, tendencies that you might be able to get um, a rethinking of such persons to accept. Um, culture and religion plays a strong role here. Um, there are certain communities where, you know, women and women or girls are not just allowed um, out to to undertake certain positions or certain roles or even to go to school. We are still battling with the gender parity at um, the primary school level, the, the secondary school level, and now we are talking about going into full blown security um, institutions. You have families, you have parents who still feel that, no, such jobs are not for girls. Such jobs are not for women. Let the men go, go out to do that. What this does is that it further reinforces this in notion that the security space is just for the men. It's, a mas it's masculine and it should just remain that way. I've had um, physical encounters where um, female officers went perhaps on a course at the um, Nigerian Defense Academy. And they come out tops in their class. And we are like, where is this whole notion that our girls cannot do so well? So um, I, I think um, for us, it's more of awareness creation on the positive sides to say that countries that have advanced, even in the West, this is what is doing for them. How do we bring this home to our own country, Nigeria? I think um, these are some of the ways we are trying to address the issues on ground. Is again another articulate way of trying to make us or help us make sense of how changes can be driven. Um, but I want to pick you up on on two things. First, the issue around quotas. 
again, in, in my interaction with some law enforcement agents and trying to make sense of, you know, get their perspective on how we can in, ensure more gender parity. The argument around quotas especially seems to suggest that we risk driving a divide whereby, you know, this whole idea of gender equality, which is basically to remove every injustice and, and, and represent both men and women in positive light. But by introducing quotas, we might end up actually sort of undermining the justice we, we are seeking, you know, because men will feel that, oh, um, women are, are, are about to take over. Yeah, let me put it that way. Women are about to take over. And very soon we are going to be relegated to the background. And and this actually has been cited as some of the, the reasons for, for, for being against some of the efforts on the ground to enjoy, ensure a more um, gender parity in the security sector. What do you think about this? Have you encountered it? If yes, how can we move beyond this, to actually have that discussion and go beyond this and bring about more positive results on the ground? For me, I think um, leadership is very, very important in all of this. So um, it's from working from the top down to address these issues. First, let's look at the leadership. If you have um, a leader of a security institution or for instance, let's say an inspector general of police who feels that gender is all about women alone, then that becomes a problem because that sort of trickles down to the officers and it goes right down. We're dealing a lot with um, officers rank and file who just feel that, no, don't bring gender here. You're trying women, you want women to take over. So we want to work our way right from the top down to reconscientize and and this is the premise on which i stand when i do trainings for security officers to say if i'm doing basic trainings or specialized trainings around um, gender issues i start from the point of when i talk about gender i'm not here to talk about women issues alone i'm here to talk about equality for everyone and equity fair treatment for all officers because you might be surprised that there are cases of um, gender-based violence that are targeted or affect uh, male officers. But let's come back to the issue. The issue is that quota system will help a lot. I've talked about um, the bias that you have within the society that you know religion and culture plays a strong role. Uh, women are meant to just be, be seen and not and not to be heard. Um, it's just very recently that you, you're seeing more women come out in the open and are occupying big spaces or head institutions. But largely, if you conduct studies, you still see that um, um, gender equality is still on, on the low gender parity in certain institutions, including security institutions, is still very low. That is where you need to bring up the issue of quota. So you come from that premise to make the officers understand that the participation of women is very key to improving security operations because um, let me paint the, 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 the a context of um, um, insurgency that we face um, in this part of the country or in this part of the world, Nigeria, the Northeast, that has been ridden by Boko Haram insurgency. There are communities that you have these attacks that are ongoing. Now, you might have female officers and by the virtue of the fact that you have religion is that is playing a strong role 
some male soldiers are not able to get into some communities or into some families if they want to do some rescue operations or even to conduct searches. Because you must have heard of the issues of, uh, oh, um, I was searched in an appropriate manner. I would have preferred if a female officer or a female soldier um, conducted that search. That is where you need to bring in that element that do you want your, your, your institution to continue to be accused of um, sexual harassment or inappropriate ways of searching people? And that is where you need to bring women that in such specialized operations, women play a critical role. Apart from that, you might have a situation where a woman has just been raped, a young lady has just been raped, and she needs somebody to listen to her cry or her plea or her report. Uh, some women will say that I perhaps prefer um, a female officer um, to listen to me and I'm able to open up. It's, uh, it might feel a bit awkward um, talking to a male officer, or oh, I was raped this way, he asked me to remove my dress and all of that. And this is just making it, uh, putting it at a modest level. There are several other operations beyond this that women can play critical roles. So it is in view of the fact that they are heavily denied um, in terms of their entry, the provisions that are in the laws have prevented them from coming into the institution. I talked about that of the Nigerian police force that says on an, an unmarried, um, any, a woman that is married it cannot be enlisted. So if I'm married, for instance, and I'm within the age range, if I feel that I can contribute my own quota to improving policing services, why am I denied on the basis of age or on the basis of, no, not, not on the basis of age, but denied on the basis of the fact that I'm married already? So it is within that lens that we try to see, okay, quota system, how can it work? If we are able to get leadership buy-in to, 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 to buy into this idea of, some certain level of quotas and the element of um, the, the positives that it will bring for the institutions, um, uh, we might be able to read such persons of that notion that women are coming to take over. It's a very tough, um, it's a very tough conversation. It's a very, it's a struggle, essentially. Um, being on the field, you see male police officers who don't just want to hear anything about gender. And then if they are working with female police officers or female soldiers, as the case may be, there's this uneasiness. They come with this perspective of, uh, I am more superior. I'm a man here. Um, uh, interestingly, I will let you know, Dr. Ife, that we have a part of the, the, the old law for the Nigerian police force. You had this um, description. Um, so the first number that you have on your uniform as a female police officer there is this inscription W. So what that signifies is if you see W before a first number, know that this is a female police officer. So that is already a, a marker already. So you're segregating a certain person. And we're saying that no, within the, the space and the current realities um, that the world has moved, you don't need these markers. Women can participate equally um, just as uh, men. So quota hmm. system, we are not yet there. Uh, okay. in Nigeria, what is an agenda that we're trying to push. Okay, well, thank you so much. And and uh, I, I also have another question, just to, to see if you can maybe integrate the discussion around the whole idea of uh, UN Resolution 1325. Do you think that some of the progress you've made around the campaign and lobbying and pushing and for example in, around the the nigerian police laws 
mm. is somehow been made possible because of Nigerians willing Nigeria's willingness to sort of integrate this resolution. Has it helped or is it helping or is it not mentioned at all in the course of some of these changes that is already happening on the ground? Yes. So um UN thirteen twenty five landmark uh, resolution, Nigeria had the first um, national action plan and then a revised one sometime in um, 2017. I'm not too sure, but we're on the second one. And as I speak, I think there is an agenda to have a third national action plan. So um, this is beginning to feature very strongly in the conversation around um, equality for women within the security sector. Uh, But what has... uh, I wouldn't say that this um, convention or this resolution has uh, really pushed us to the point where we are in terms of the little progress that we're making. But to say that um, we've sort of just look at this globally to say um, Nigerian women have been denied um, gender equality. The world has moved and that there's, there's need for more women to participate um, equally within the security sector um, space. But the role that 1325 does for us um, is that it brings to the fore, it tries to highlight for us that in view of the myriad of security challenges that you have in Nigeria, women are heavily affected. So it's more of an outward um, look. That is where this um, resolution is, what is helping, helping us to achieve, including the National Action Plan on 1325, to recognize the um, disproportionate impact of security challenges on women so that is women on the outside i wouldn't say that it has done so much in terms of women that are within the institution but rather it's allowing the institution to recognize that for those that you're trying to secure on the outside recognize that when conflict comes in um, there are varying impacts on both a woman and a man, and that you should try to do more to protect women that are caught in conflict spaces or to ensure that when you have peace building measures, allow women to participate, you know, in those, uh, on those platforms, uh, decision-making platforms as well. Um, I I think that we haven't done so much in terms of using these um, tools or these frameworks to highlight more about the issues that women face within the institutions or to campaign more for their inclusion or for more participation within um, the various security institutions. But but yes, um, most of the security agencies recognize that this is a very important um, resolution and that the agenda um, to improve um, gender equality um, has to be framed along um, the provisions of this resolution. I don't know if that answers um, your question. That absolutely does. Thank you so much. I have one more question and then I will let you be because I, I know that you, you're absolutely very busy and I'm absolutely actually we're very grateful for, for you taking the time out to speak to us. So the next question then uh, it's around, you know, when you speak to the men that work in the security sector, those on the ground they would tell you that they recognize that for the women they work with, they are competent, they are able to do the job, and in some cases, actually able to do it better than some of the men. The problem they have, however, is with the way the people on top, when they're trying to 
make recommendations around women joining some of these forces. So, for example, they could say things like, oh, we have this woman coming to your unit. Look after her. That language alone undermines all the effort because the men that you're telling to look after would automatically assume, oh, I'm here to do double work (laughs) when you're trying to bring in women. So how do we then ensure, and, and this is what they say, of course, and then they quantify it with women are able to do the job. So how can we ensure that the language you know, the leaders, the people making this policy decision, that they, la- they don't miss the language and thereby further undermining, you know, well, sort of creating enmity between the men in the field and the women they're trying to send to the field. How can we ensure we don't do this? Yeah, I, I think languaging and messaging plays is, um, both play a strong um, role in terms of how we frame some of this. So in dealing in the relations between a man and a woman within the security um, space, how we frame it um, sort of also shapes um, the relationship on, or how they are going to approach um, the work. So if you come with that con- from that context of, oh, you're the, you are the man and you should play the big brother role. It defeats the whole essence of trying to ensure that the women, the women participate uh, more. So I think it's more of to work on the, the side of the leadership. For me, leadership is very, very key because if you bring in um, a leader that um, is forward looking when it comes to these issues around gender equality, um, to a large extent, you will have that trickling down to the rank and file to meet cadet officers because such officers or such leader will also have zero tolerance. Well, I assume we have zero tolerance for um, languages that are used to that, are, that, that have the capability of undermining women. You know, you have uh, um, um, some officers or some leaders that at some point within the institutions, they are able to call out officers that are perhaps harassing women or harassing their female colleagues. But that, again, is on the low. You don't often hear that um, um, or every day. What I think we need to do is we need to change the um, narrative. We need to ensure that we work with the leaders that can amplify the role that women play as strong players, as strong um, support system or strong providers of security provisioning um, and not bringing um, the perspective of, oh, she's um, inferior and as such, we need to play the big brother role. I think that is where we perhaps are missing it. Um, This whole narrative in terms of gender and security is amplifying the role that women play. For far too long, we have sort of underplayed their role. You know, we feel that they should just be there to uh, be part of the numbers and then uh, and not amplify what critical role do they play to ensure that we have a more secured um, society. We cannot say that it is the men that are achieving all the achieve, all the other wins that we have seen. It's it's both an equal, uh, um, you know, both partners or both genders have their particular roles um, to play. An example for, for, for me, again, is uh, we, are bat- we are battling with the issues of um, banditry, kidnapping um, around the northwestern part of the country. Uh, from time to time, you have um, contingent of male officers being deployed to high-risk areas. You had a governor in one of these um, states, the northwest, Kaduna State, who worked with the military to say, with the army specifically to say, 
This time around, we want to deploy female officers along the Abuja-Kaduna Highway. Let's see what will change. And travelers who have plied that route around the point, the time you had that contingent, were able to say, oh, uh, it, it brought in a different mix into the whole discussion to say, oh, there have been some minimal reports of kidnapping because women are, are, are out there um, on the highway and these kidnappers are sort of wary. No, we don't want to deal with women. We want it to be a man-to-man thing. So I think that it's about amplifying. If you're able to get a leader that comes out to say, we want to bring out the successes or, or, or the achievements. We want to showcase the achievements. It will yeah. go a long way. Um, and it will send a signal across the institution that, this leader does not tolerate um, us to undermine the capabilities of our female officers. And as such, we have to fall in line. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And I like that the example you've provided because it also helps us understand how, you know, a lot of work is needed. The cultural link to this whole thing, because we can look at it from this view that, okay, the kidnappers did not want to deal with women, but also this could be because traditionally this whole vision or idea, or women are are weaker, we prefer man to man, right? And and (laughs) so, but I mean, it's it's very interesting, that example, and it's very useful because at the end of the day, you're having a man and a woman working together rather than, and, and of course, making more effort to ensure gender parity in the security sector rather than the continuous centering of of this whole narrative that women cannot do certain things. Um, I want to thank you so much um, for for being here and, and ask you, I guess, the final words for our listeners today. What do you think needs to change moving forward? And, and when I say this, I mean from a, a national perspective, that is Nigeria, but also at the continental level, given that our realities are somehow similar? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What I think needs to change is uh, Africa needs to do more to really abolish gender discriminatory practices, notion, beliefs around the role that gender plays around security institutions. Uh, parents um, can do a lot more to encourage their children, their female children especially, you know, to go all out there and be who they want to be, you know, become the woman. If you want to be a police officer, you want to be a, a soldier, I shouldn't hold you back because I feel that, oh, my religion does not support that, you know, or my culture does not support you to be out there, you know, and everybody's seeing you putting on trousers and all of that. So, um, and then the government has a role to play. You talk about um, abolishing the um, discriminatory laws and also to ensure that the different um, UN conventions or treaties or protocols that seek to enhance gender parity um, should be implemented, should be ratified or domesticated at their various countries. And then there should be sort of implementation framework, monitoring, evaluating, um, not just signing this at the regional or or international level, but ensuring that we put systems in place that are actually working to uh, um, allow an enabling environment where women can thrive and can contribute their own quota, you know, in improving um, security in the various um, countries. So, the laws, very important. Um, monitoring and implementation frameworks, very important. Domestication, very important. And then abolishing um, discrimination 
um, um, in, the, in the various countries. Thank you so very much. I really have appreciated listening to you and I've also learned so much from hearing some of the practical things your organization is doing to support this whole process. Thank you again. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening to us and we hope to see you again soon. Take care and God bless. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ife. Uh, My regards to your colleague as well. Thank you. She will hear. Thank you.